0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champchurch.com. Uh, so as you prepare to get into the, uh, the scripture this morning, if you're going to take any notes or anything, I want to give you a few things to look forward to. These are things that you can uh, look forward to as we get into the Scripture. They might kind of pique your interest and and keep you engaged as we move through the Word together. But they're things that stood out that I think are worth making a note of. Uh, One of the things that we're going to find is, uh, we touched on this uh, last week, we're going to revisit it today, but how to get rid of what the Bible would refer to as gloom and anguish. Now, I want you to think for a second about those words, because we could easily say that very quickly, and miss out on on what it is that's being spoken here. I mean, think of the word gloom, and when I think of the word gloom, generally I go to like weather, right? You could look outside and it's all, you know, there's no sunshine and it looks cold and maybe a little damp, it just looks uncomfortable, and you might say, wow, it looks really gloomy outside, right, something like that. So I don't know what gloom is to you, but to me it's undesirable, It's, it's uncomfortable, it's the kind of thing that is, Uh, not conducive to productivity and and all of those things it's just it's an unpleasant thing and then the idea of anguish I mean that that word anguish is a pretty powerful word I can't think of anyone here that would sign up for anguish if I were to say hey listen following the service we can go into the uh, the side room here and we can all have anguish together I don't know that the line would form really quickly right I mean I think people would say I want to pass on anguish I'm not interested in that Uh, Anguish is this very undesirable thing, and and it involves all kinds of of things like like pain and suffering. It could be the result of regret. It could be all kinds of different uh, situations or circumstances that produce it. But the bottom line is nobody wants anguish. So when we look at this and we see how to get rid of these things, I think it's something that we should all pay attention to. Another thing that we're going to find is I put one of our greatest enemies down here. Because it's, I don't like to paint myself into a corner, right? I like to leave a little back door out because I think that's an important thing to do. It's pretty arrogant to say, this is your greatest enemy. I, I am willing to say, in my opinion, as it stands today, based on this message that we're about to hear, I think this is probably your greatest enemy. But leave me that little back door out in case we come up with something else later on. and You, don't, you know, hold me to that and say, well, Pastor Preston, I thought you said that was my greatest enemy. Listen... This is a bad thing, we don't want it in our lives, and we're gonna identify it so that we can kick it out. And that's what we're gonna do. So you're gonna find out what one of your greatest enemies is, and we're gonna look at how to get rid of them. A third thing we're gonna find is how to be children of light. Now last week we talked about light. This is a little bit of a light 2.0 message because there were some things that stirred in my heart this morning that I really believe uh, needed to be included, kind of piggybacked on last week's message. And we're going to open up with a passage of scripture that we opened up with last week to kind of lay that base and foundation. Now, last week, what we did was we identified, you know, why Jesus came, why the gospel exists, you know, and what what it stands for, what it means. We're going to go revisit that passage as we open this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Isaiah, the the prophet Isaiah. We're going to look at chapter 9. Now, Isaiah chapter 9 is speaking of the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. You'll hear these passages a lot around Christmas time. You know, unto us a child is born, a son is given, things like that. Makes for a lovely Christmas card or decoration, but the reality is this is the difference between life and death. If there is no Messiah, there is no salvation. If there is no Jesus, there's no new birth. There's no eternal life. There's nothing but sin and destruction and death. So this chapter is something that really ought to get our attention more than just around December 25th. And honestly, I think it's one of the greatest schemes of the devil to kind of paint it into a little corner and say, why don't you guys pull this out once a year? The truth is, this is a foundational verse for your faith, for your Christianity. The reality that God fulfilled his promise, sent our savior, that he took our sins, that he laid down his life, that he rose from the grave, ascended to heaven, poured out the Holy Ghost, and then your salvation, your new birth, your baptism in the Holy Spirit, Everything that is your life in the kingdom of God. So Isaiah chapter 9, I want to begin uh, there. Now, when we begin there, if you go there and you look at verse 1, what it opens up with is, is it, it speaks of her who sits in gloom and is, is suffering this anguish, will suffer these things no more. She will no longer sit in gloom, and she will have anguish no more. Well, that sounds good to me. Whatever she's having, I'll have it too, right? Right? I don't want the gloom, and I don't want the anguish. So you begin to then see what's going to bring this relief, and what brings this relief is light into the darkness, as you see here around verse 2. A people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them, and they will multiply and prosper and increase in gladness. They'll be glad in, in 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 the presence of the Lord, as in a harvest, which is a productive time. It goes on to talk about this freedom from oppression, that that heavy burden that's upon their neck where they can never get ahead. That'll be broken off of them so that they can finally succeed. Now that last part's a little bit paraphrased, but that's exactly what it means. This is all Jesus. Jesus coming into our lives brings the light that drives out the darkness, that opens up the door for us to be successful. Successful in any aspect of life. It can be uh, relationally, it can be uh, uh, in ministry of any kind, it could be in in business, you name it, fill in the blank, Jesus brings success because Jesus brings light, that light that drives out the darkness. Now, if we're going to look at this from that perspective that we opened up with, how to get rid of gloom and anguish, the way to get rid of gloom and anguish is to get rid of darkness. Well, how do you get rid of darkness? Well, you bring in the light. And in this case, it's Jesus. The more Jesus I bring into my life, the more darkness is driven out. The more darkness is driven out, the more anguish and gloom go with it. Anguish and gloom, based on this passage of Scripture, are the result of sitting in darkness. And what's really amazing to me is the idea of sitting in darkness. I spent a lot of my life sitting in darkness, knowing that I didn't enjoy the result of it. I mean, I could feel the gloom, I could feel the anguish, but yet I had no solution. I knew I didn't like it, I knew I didn't want it, I knew I wanted something different, but I had no solution, and let me tell you, that's a miserable place to be. But then when light comes in, it's a source of celebration. I mean, I remember before I was a believer how much I hated praise and worship. I didn't understand it, I couldn't relate to it. I I became a Christian after my brother did, he became born again before I did, and I remember He would come by and we'd have, you know, jobs together. I would jump in his truck and he would have worship music on and I would reach over and just shut it off. And he would look over at me and he understood and so he was very gracious and patient with me. And I remember one time saying, I don't want to hear it. And I look back on those words and think, you know, that was really true. I didn't have the capacity to hear it. I did not have that, that reason for gratitude in my life in order to release that gratitude and thanksgiving because my life was suffering anguish and gloom. But then introduce light, introduce Jesus, and now all I have is, is gratitude. All I have is the mentality that I should be grateful for this wonderful deliverance from all of those things that made my life terrible. I don't have to sit in darkness, but can sit in the light. I can stand and and be free from all of the things that were once a burden to me. And as we move through the rest of the message, we're going to find out kind of the how-tos and whys of that. I want to give you another passage of Scripture here as we move forward. and It's a a passage out of the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 12. It's speaking of Jesus. It's, It's referring to this a revelation of of the fulfillment of that prophecy we just read. you got to understand, Isaiah wrote about light entering into the darkness long before Jesus was born. It's a prophetic promise that, hey, it won't always be this way. A breakthrough is coming. A victory is coming. Deliverance is coming. Though you sit in gloom and anguish right now, one day you will be liberated from that anguish because Jesus is coming. And then Jesus comes and he says this, In John chapter 12, verse 46, I have come as light into the world so that no one will remain in darkness. So that no one who believes in me will remain in darkness. So that no one who calls upon my name will remain in darkness, so that no one who puts their trust in God will remain in darkness. When you take this passage of scripture and look at it, it's pretty phenomenal. It's real easy to just read right past because it's so uh, fluid and poetic, but the reality is, Jesus is saying, This is the reason why I'm here. That's a pretty powerful thing to consider. He doesn't walk in the room and start banging on pots and pans and ringing bells and saying, hey guys, pay attention to this because this is the whole reason why I exist. This is the whole reason why I'm standing in front of you. But if you take what he's saying here, that would be really nice and helpful because that's what's going on. Hey, I have come for this reason. I've come to be light into the darkness so that you don't have to stay this way. You don't have to sit in darkness. Let me tell you something, that message is a relief to me as it concerns my life, that I didn't have to stay that way. It's a relief to all of those right now that are suffering gloom or anguish. And let me tell you something, if you reached out to this city and you could speak to every single resident of the city of Abilene and say, hey, are you suffering gloom and anguish? We'd be shocked how many people would say, yeah, I am. Life sucks. And I need it to change. Bad. There's a solution for that. Jesus is saying, Hey, I came to be light in the darkness so that you don't have to sit in the dark. Now, here's what's really amazing about this passage of scripture that you don't have to. If you want to, you sure can. You can sit right there in the dark, sit on a cushion of gloom, surrounded by anguish, but you don't have to. I've come so that you don't have to remain in the dark. I wanted to to talk about this because there's a reason why I think that we need to pursue the light. And not only just to get out of gloom and anguish so that we can feel better about our lives, but I think that there's a a call upon our lives to be light. Now, we talked about that last week, that Jesus opens up his ministry with the the declaration that he's the light of the world. And as he begins to minister to you and to me, He speaks to us that we are the light of the world. And as we look at this, there's a reason for this. There's a purpose behind this. And there's also an obstacle to keeping this to come to pass. There was something that kept me sitting in the dark for so long. And I look back and think, why would I suffer that long? Why would I live that way? Why would I keep inviting this gloom and this anguish into my life? There was a reason why. And for all of those that continue to sit in it right now, Sitting in the dark, suffering the gloom and suffering the anguish, there's a reason why. I mentioned to you that we we're going to find out, you know, one of your greatest enemies, and we're going to talk about that enemy right now. I think he's probably the greatest enemy. It's the one that keeps us sitting in the dark when we don't like it. Nobody likes gloom and nobody likes anguish, but why do we continue to sit in it? I'll give you a one-word answer. Shame. I believe shame to be one of our greatest enemies, possibly the greatest. In my life, to sit in that gloom and to sit in that darkness when I knew all I was doing was wasting what was so precious and ruining what was so valuable and destroying what had so much potential to just continue in that destructive pattern was because I felt there was no way out all because of shame. I want to give you a little bit of scripture to to base this on and it requires a little bit of paraphrasing and a little bit of reading between the lines but when we get the principle, when we get the idea it will make perfect sense to us. Consider the very beginning. Now, we went there last week, right, when God spoke into the void and the darkness and said, let there be light. We talked about how light is the the difference, the opposite of emptiness and darkness, and and we, we went over that last week. Now, we're still kind of in the beginning as God is creating the world, and he creates mankind. He makes Adam, and he makes Eve, and the Bible says something really amazing, and it's not casual, it's not accidental, it's very intentional, and we ought to pay very close attention to it. He makes man, and he makes woman, and he says they're not ashamed. Pretty interesting thing to think about. I mean, it could have said anything. It could have been like, and they're really strong, or they're very courageous. I mean, there could have been any descriptive word to describe how God made man. God made man to be free from shame. He made him and he was not ashamed. It's a pretty powerful thing to consider. That in God's design for my life, without sin, without corruption, without compromise, without error of any kind, when I'm walking in holiness, the result is I'm not ashamed. Now, if you were to go and poll Abilene and just go to people and just say, hey, is there anything in your life you're ashamed of? We'd probably find that almost everybody carries some shame, which is really the thing that God is bringing light into the world to minister to. We're going to see that in just a moment. But the reality is that this this life of holiness, this life of deliverance, this life of victory, this life of light results in a life free from shame. And then you see here in creation that there's sin that enters in, you know, I mean, we, we know the story of Adam and Eve and eating the fruit and disobeying God, and we call it the original sin, and I don't really like calling it that because I don't think that's really accurate. Now, it doesn't really matter for today's purposes, but it's, it's worth mentioning that, that, that there's, there's more than just sin that exists. I mean... Sin is, is this incident that takes place without knowledge, right? I mean, it's, it's a, the Bible says that God will forgive us of sin and transgression and iniquity. Those are three different things. Sin being this, this, this incident that's unrighteous. But it's unknown. It, it's, it's accidental. I mean, uh, sin is like an archery term, like I'm aiming for that bullseye, and I draw my arrow and release, and I'm missed. I didn't hit what I was aiming for, sin, right? And then you have transgression. Now now transgression means like you knew it was wrong and you did it anyway. A better word for transgression, and I use this word a lot, is rebellion. Like I knew it was wrong and I did it that way anyway. I'm just being rebellious. That's a whole other thing, but yet it's the kind of thing that we should be aware of because there's a difference. And then you had the iniquity where like rebellion becomes a lifestyle. Where it's no longer like something that is done because you, you, know, you knew better and you did it anyway, but now you just say it's good. You're saying what's bad is good, and anyone who says otherwise is wrong. You see a lot of iniquity in the United States today, a lot of it. A lot of sinful lifestyles have been embraced now to the point where they're considered righteous. And if you say it's unrighteous, you're a bigot, you're this, you're that, you know. So you see a lot of iniquity today. Iniquity is bad news because iniquity is transferable. Right? I mean, you'll see in the scripture that it can be hereditary, it can be passed down. And so iniquity is one of those things you really don't want. It's a nasty business. I mean, if you wanted to see a nation change, you would introduce iniquity because, as, as it's been said before, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. Well, that's kind of like good advice, but the reality is there's mechanics behind it. And the mechanics behind it are iniquity. It's not just this erosion of morality, it's the introduction of iniquity where one generation will embrace something, then the next will hereditarily have it placed upon their life, and before you know it, what was once unrighteous is now righteous. And that's a, that's a real negative thing. So we don't want to get hung up on that, but what we see here is we're looking at what we call the original sin. The truth is it's the original transgression because there was already instruction given, hey, don't do that. This is no accident. This is no like, hey, nobody told me. There wasn't a sign that said don't do that. I did it, and I'm sorry, you know. This is a transgression. This is the original rebellion. This is the original God said don't, and I did it anyway because I think I know better. And that really applies to more of our lives. I mean, honestly, the majority of, of my life as it concerns unrighteousness isn't sin. Most of the time, because I'm in my 40s and I've lived life on earth, I know better. But I do it anyway. And to refer to that as sin is to take it easy on myself because it's no accident, it's no incident. It's on purpose. I knew better and I did it. My sons are getting older now. And, you know, when you're raising your children and they're young and you see them misbehave and you correct them lovingly, it's, they, do, they don't know any better, so you lead them in the way they should go. The older they get now, I've often said these words, hey, you know better than that. Which means you knew not to do it, you did it anyway, right? I'm not picking on them, There's just a great example for where we're at. So when we're looking at this, I think it's important to see that this isn't just some accident, but this is a willful act of rebellion. That's a very intentional way to say that, willful act of rebellion. And when willful acts of rebellion come into our lives, they result in really nasty things. When my life becomes filled with a transgression or something along those lines, some willful act of rebellion, the door is open for a real nasty thing to take place. Now remember in creation, your original design, God made you, he made you in his image, after his likeness, the result is you stand unashamed. Then you enter in willful act of rebellion, the original transgression. He said not to, I know better, I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm gonna have my cake and eat it too. I'm gonna live with one foot on this side of the fence and one foot on that side of the fence. I'm gonna be His, but I'm also going to be mine. It doesn't work. And the result is something really gross. So the story goes, the history goes, that sin enters in, right? I mean, you're not supposed to touch that and eat that. So you touch that, you eat that, you eat that. And all of a sudden, now it's this willful act of rebellion. And what's the result? All of a sudden, this life where you're unashamed is filled with shame. And then shame starts to have its nasty results, and the nasty results are hiding. Hiding from who? Hiding from God. That's what you see here. You see people who are made, they're perfect, they're holy, there's no sin, there's no corruption, they're unashamed. Then willful acts of rebellion come in, shame comes in, shame results in fear, and then they hide. That's how the history goes. The moment that sin enters in through this willful act of rebellion, the the shame enters in. And then when God is present, Adam and Eve hide. You'll find it there in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3-ish. They hide. And when God comes by, he, he says, hey, why are you hiding? And they say, well, we were afraid. What are you afraid of? Well, we're afraid that you'll see what we're ashamed of. And I'm thinking this is really interesting because God is light, right? And he's there walking and now they're hiding from him. Why would these people hide from light and sit in the darkness for fear that they might be exposed because they're ashamed? That explains my life. I mean, it's kind of a weird thing to think about, but the reality is I was so deeply embarrassed by all of the things that I had done and all of the, that I was that I didn't want anyone to see me. I didn't want to expose anything to the light because I was afraid. I was afraid of what it would look like. I was afraid of what people would think. I was afraid that there would be judgment. And I was afraid that people would see how nasty I really am. So I'm going to sit in the dark and keep my illusions. When shame is present, you'll hide from God. And now that's one of the reasons why the scripture is so uh, adamant about getting shame out of our lives. I mean, let me give you a passage of scripture that's built on a passage of scripture. That means it's in the word a lot, okay? So if you're scrolling through your New Testament Bible, most of the time you'll find passages of scripture that are written in all caps. Well, in today's culture, that means you're yelling, right? If If I texted you in all caps, that means I'm yelling at you. Well, this is not how it works here. What that means here is that it's been quoted from the Old Testament. That somebody's pulling a passage of Scripture from another place in the Bible and they're speaking it here. It means it's in there more than once. It's in there multiple times. This is not just something that is written in here one time, but rather this is something that's being quoted from before. And what you'll see quoted a lot in the Scripture, you'll find in Romans 10, 11. In Romans 10, 11, what you'll find is all who believe in Jesus will not be ashamed. What, a, what an incredible thing to say, that believing in Jesus results in not being ashamed. I mean, if that passage of Scripture would said, hey, all who believe in Jesus will be forgiven, I'd be happy with that, and you probably would be too. All who believe in Jesus will, you know, have life eternal. I would be okay with that, and I think you would be too. But the Scripture has intentionally communicated something to us that we ought to pay very close attention in, uh, to. The result of believing in Jesus is the removal of shame. I want that. I want that so badly. To have nothing to hide. To have no fear of of being seen. Not only do I want that for me, but I want it for everyone. Because we'll begin to see that, that the tool of the devil is shame to keep you in darkness, to keep you hiding from the things that bring prosperity and victory and success, to keep you in that place of destruction, that place of depression, that place of fruitlessness and death, all because you're afraid of being seen. Satan will whisper in your ear, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Now Jesus will speak something totally different. The devil's tool is shame to keep you hiding from God, to keep you in the dark intentionally, even though you know it sucks there. It's gloom, it's anguish, it is misery. And you could weep every night, and believe me, I have, wanting out of it, but yet you're afraid. And so you sit in it. And that's the tool that he uses to keep us there. If they only knew what you've done, they'd know what kind of person you are. Shame is a nasty business. You'll see it in the scripture, and when you learn to look for it, it stands out more. It's kind of like if you buy a car, like you buy, you know, a certain vehicle, or maybe, you know, you get a red Corvette or something, and then you start to realize, hey, there's a lot of red Corvettes on the road, right? I mean, just something like that. Once you learn to look for it, you start to spot it more. There's a passage of scripture where Jesus is sitting with a group, and among these are Pharisees and and. And other people, which means they're believers, right? And, and the, a woman who has a really checkered past comes in and throws herself, herself excuse me, at the feet of Jesus. And she's weeping with gratitude and thanksgiving because of all the great things God's doing in her life. And, and the only thing that the other people in the room can say is, hey, she shouldn't touch you. Don't you know what kind of woman she is? Do you hear shame in that? Don't you know what she's done? Man, if Satan were in the room, I don't think he would say anything different than that. I think it's the most satanic thing that could have been spoken in that situation. Shame is the tool of the devil to keep people beat down, to keep them oppressed, to keep them sitting in darkness, even though light has entered into the world. To keep them in gloom and keep them in anguish. Shame is the tool of the devil. But the scripture promises that to the one that believes in Jesus Christ, they'll never be put to shame. They'll never be ashamed. Now, one of the things I want to look at there is is the word believe. If you've been in any more than like three church services here at Champions, you've probably heard me say this before because it's a really big deal. Believing isn't just acknowledging the existence of, right? I mean, we've covered that before, and it's worth saying again so that we can just really drill it into our minds and hearts. It's not just about acknowledging that Jesus exists. But the word believe means to put trust in. There's areas in my Bible where I've scratched out the word believe and I've written above it to put trust in. To put trust in. To put trust in. Because I don't want to limit my mind to just acknowledging that Jesus exists. You can't deny the existence of Jesus Christ. He is the most historically documented being ever to walk the planet. But to put trust in is a whole other thing. I mean, even just consider what was just spoken as it concerns believing and not having shame. The one that would believe in him will not be put to shame. Now substitute to put trust in the one who will put their trust in Jesus will not be ashamed. I'll put my trust in him. I love the song that we sang earlier because of that line. I'll put my trust in him. I'll trust that he will make the provision that's needed, that he will bring the mercy that I need because I desperately need it. And we'll see a life rid of shame. Shame is the devil's tool. Shame is the thing that keeps you hiding from God, keeps you sitting in the darkness where the gloom and the anguish is. Now let me tell you what God's tool is because it's completely different. God's tool is conviction. And it's a wonderful thing to think about once you know what it is. conviction. And, And when you begin to see the difference between shame and see the difference between conviction, you can see the work of the devil and you can see the work of God and you can identify the difference between the two. And it's very helpful because you'll know when it's God speaking to you and you'll know when it's the devil speaking to you. And let me tell you something that's pretty handy to know. So God's tool is conviction. I'll give you a passage of scripture for that. John chapter 16 verse 8. Okay, so Jesus is speaking and he's talking about the Holy Ghost, the the, the presence of God in your life, the Holy Spirit. And he's identifying the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which has taken place and we receive the benefits of that. And he says the Holy Spirit will do these things. He says the Holy Spirit will convict concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. These are the things that the Holy Spirit brings conviction into my life concerning. And and just to paraphrase this, I mean, those are things where I need help, right? I want to know the difference between right and wrong as it concerns things that are sinful. I want to know uh, the difference between right and wrong as it concerns things that are righteous. And I want to know the difference between right and wrong as it concerns decisions and choices for those things. The Holy Ghost is, is sent to convict as it concerns sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, what does it mean to convict? I mean, it's it's different than shame. It's an awareness of those things with a purpose to lead in the right direction. With a purpose to do what's right. When I willfully rebel, when I do commit transgression, when I fail and there's some sort of an error in my life in any way, shape, or form, I feel bad about that. And you know what? That's a good thing. As long as it leads me to light. That's conviction. It's a bad thing if it leads me to hide in the dark. That's shame. One of those is Jesus, and the other one is Satan. I want to take every aspect of my life and surrender it to conviction so that I can keep moving toward the light, so that I can make the choices and the decisions that are right. When I fail, I will learn from that failure and I will move in the right direction because I am a man of conviction liberated from shame, spirit-led. The Lord is my shepherd. He's leading me in the way to go. Now, when I hear a voice telling me to hide, when I hear a voice telling me to keep something in the dark, I know it's not Jesus. I know it's the devil because the dark is where gloom and anguish is, and I'm not going to sit there anymore. But I'm going to hear the voice of God to call me out of there. Much of Christianity today wants to live a life free from conviction. We, we just want to feel good about ourselves. I've got news for you, man. The day I start to feel good about myself, I'm getting worried. I want to feel conviction. I want to feel conviction when I fail. I want to feel conviction when I slip. I want to feel conviction when, when I rebel. I want to feel cr- conviction anytime there's any corruption in my life because I want to move toward the light. I've had enough of the darkness. My anguish needs were met, and I've had my fill of gloom. And I've tasted and seen what life is in the light, and I can tell you it's good. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here as we continue. We're going to wrap up here in the next couple. This is one that we started last week, and I want to include it this week. Ephesians chapter 5. It's going to be several passages, so get ready to find out just how literate I am. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 7. You remember I was telling you we're going to learn how to become children of light. That was one of the things that we promised going into this. I want to read this passage of scripture to set the the foundation for that. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 7, it says, Therefore do not be partakers with those who operate in darkness. You were formerly darkness." But now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. The fruit of light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now we talked about that last week. Now here's where we're picking up this week. Try to learn what's pleasing to the Lord. I want to stop right there. You know how much I love that? Try to learn. It doesn't just set this standard of, of like absolute perfection because I would fail miserably and that failure would lead me to give up. But yet this is this encouragement that, hey, listen, you're no longer darkness, you're light. Don't do those things that are done in darkness, but be a child of the light. The things that are goodness and righteousness and truth, just try. Try to do the things that are pleasing to God. You know why the word would say that? Because you're going to like it. Just try it. Just try it. Try to do the things that are pleasing to the Lord. And don't participate in unfruitful things of darkness. Now listen to this. This is really cool. But instead, even expose them. Because it's disgraceful, those things that are in the dark, that are done in secret. Remember, that's hidden and in the dark, where there's gloom and anguish. Now listen to this, because this is the powerful promise that leads me to love a life of conviction and reject a life of shame hiding in the dark. Pay very close attention to this. But everything that's exposed by light, once it's visible, those things that are visible become light. That means every nasty thing I've ever done, every dirty deed, every foul thought, every violent act... Every sin, every rebellion, every bit of iniquity that may be a part of my life, when it's exposed by the light, doesn't just get exposed, but it gets transformed. It goes from being sin and transgression and iniquity to being a powerful testimony of God's goodness, His love, His mercy, and His grace. I become a living, walking billboard for how awesome the love of God is, that God would love me so much that He would wash away all of that filth, that he would set me free from that bondage, that he could love me in the midst of my rebellion, that he could love me in the midst of my foolishness, and that that love wouldn't just pardon all of that nastiness, but that it would equip me to be free from it. I mean, I wanna expose every nasty thing of my life for the purpose of making it powerful. The devil will tell me, hey, don't expose that to the light. Be ashamed. Hide it in the dark. Why would he want that? So that I'll carry it the rest of my life. And God would say, hey, no, 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 confess that. Bring it out into the light. Let's see it right here. Put it on the table. That way it can become something powerful and something effective. You can tell people what I've set you free from. You can tell people what I've forgiven you of so that nobody in this city will think they're too far gone. But you... You will be the example of how great my love is. Bring it to the light. Let me tell you something wonderful, too. All the devil's whispers, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. If they knew what you've done, they'd think you're gross. All of that nasty business is gone. Because the devil can't expose what you've already uncovered. Let that sink in. All of those threats, it's nothing but satanic blackmail. If they only knew this garbage here, they would hate you. They would reject you. My take on that is just expose the garbage. Let's just get this out of the way. Here's how nasty I am, and here's what God's forgiven me of right here. And all that voice of shame is shut up. That's why we confess our sins. Not just because we're a people that enjoys TMI. We confess our sins because when they're out in the open, they can't be uh, held as, as a hostage. We're going to expose that. If you go any further down this path of Christianity, I'm going to tell them how nasty you are. I'm going to tell them how much you do this and how much you do that, where you've been, who you've been with. I remember having this revelation when I was a new Christian. I'd become a Christian, and I just thought, why? I'm so excited, but I feel a little bit weighed down at the same time. It was this odd thing. I mean... I had all of this joy and excitement and was ready to just, just run for Jesus. But at the same time, I felt burdened and weighed down. And I just remember having this moment of revelation where I thought, man, there's so many things I'm ashamed of. You want to know how I responded to it? I'll tell you how I responded to it. I thought, who's the worst person that could possibly know all of this stuff? And for me at the time it was my mother right because i mean i was a young man and i just thought you know nobody wants mom to know where you've been what you've done i called my mom and i said hey mom i need to talk to you for a second i just need you to listen you don't have to say anything i need to tell you and man i just went down a list of nasty stuff it was real quiet on the other end and i remember when i got done you know i the whole time i'm talking to her i'm telling her so I'm talking to her, and I'm just telling her, you know, hey, I have done this before. And I I used to do that, and I've done these things. I've been there, and I've looked at that. I've, I've done this. But then the more I got down the list, my pace changed. And I started to feel a little more energetic, and I started just to feel lighter. And before you know it, man, I just felt like every burden was off of my life. power of confession, I was getting it out there so that no longer could that be held over my head. Hey, you go any further down this path and I'll expose you for the fraud that you are. I got news for you, devil, I'm no fraud. The blood of Jesus is real and will cleanse me of all that garbage and I'm willing to put it out on the table to be in the light. Let me tell you something, that scares the hell out of him. Because the moment that comes out as light, it becomes light. It's a wonderful thing. I remember getting done spilling my guts to my mom, you know, real quiet on the other end. Here's what she said, and it's just kind of funny. She was like, um, okay, um, you know, you don't have to tell everybody that, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I said? I said, I do know that, but guess what? I could, because I'm not ashamed of it. I'm set free from it. I'm going to bring it to the light so that it can never be held over my head. Let's just get this out of the way. Let's get rid of shame so that we can walk in conviction. I mentioned to you before we're going to find something here and and I kind of got hung up there. I want to keep moving. It says "Don't, don't partake in the darkness, right? And it gives this call to be the children of the light and goodness and righteousness and truth. Don't participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness but instead even expose them goes on to say that everything that becomes visible, it becomes light. I mean, I hear that and I begin to think I want more of that in my life. I want to be free from the things that are shameful and disgraceful. I don't want to sit in darkness where there's gloom and anguish, but I want to walk in the light. I'll give you a passage of scripture here we're going to begin to close with. We've got two left and we're out. But I told you before we're going to find out how to be a child of light. I want to apply that because I think it's important to know that there's some structure to this. It doesn't just have to be something you stumble into accidentally. But that we can take this instruction and we can bring it to pass with our choices and our decisions and see this as a result. Uh, John 12, 36. Jesus is speaking. Now, you know how I feel about that. Put yourself in the place as the one that he's speaking to. Check out of the thought that I'm reading a book And consider that Jesus is speaking directly to you. And he says this. While you have the light, believe in the light. He's referring to himself, capital L, Jesus. So that you may become children of the light. I want to consider that with that substitution, with the word believe. Put trust in. While you can, right here and right now, while you have Jesus, put your trust in Jesus so that you may be a child of light. I'm going to put my trust in him with this choice and this decision. I'm going to put my trust in him with this willingness to confess and expose. I'm going to put my trust in him to to step away from shame that results in darkness and gloom and anguish and step into light that results in powerful freedom and testimony, the wonderful thing that God's called me to. I'm going to trust that I won't suffer this rejection that the devil is whispering in my ear as a re- that will result in shame, but I will receive this forgiveness and this mercy and this grace that God promises that liberates me from all of that nasty business. Those that put their trust in Jesus will never be ashamed. I want that with this understanding. I want that on my heart. I want it in my mind. So that shame never leads me to a place of sitting in darkness. Suffering gloom and anguish. So that I'm never at the mercy of the blackmailing devil. And I'm operating in the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Always moving in the right direction. I want to close with this passage of scripture. I'm going to have to paraphrase it because it's not written down here. But it's a really powerful thing to consider. The word says that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful, that he's just, and that he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I want you to think about that for just a moment. I mean, I'm going to say it again, and then we're going to break that down and close. If we confess our sins, now listen to that. That's conditional, right? If is conditional, right? Like if I'll quit preaching, you can go eat. I got to quit preaching, then you can go eat. It's conditional. If you confess, God is faithful and he's just. Faithful in that he'll do what he said he'll do, just, and that it'll be done by the blood of Jesus. There's no freebies. A price had to be paid. Jesus paid that price. He's faithful and he's just and will forgive us of our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, I don't hear that and hear one thing. I hear two things. Now, I might be hearing it wrong, and I'm open to conversation about this, but I hear two things. That I will confess my sins, and God, who's faithful and just, will do, one, forgive me of my sins, and two, purify me from all unrighteousness. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I am one of the saints. That means holy ones, which means I'm without sin. Past, present, and future, I've been forgiven. It's washed away. I want to be purified from all unrighteousness, which I see as something separate. Forgiveness of my sins and purification from all unrighteousness. And I really see that as the power of confession. I mean, this is from my personal testimony. I gave you that goofy example of me calling my mom. As goofy as that is, I felt really purified, liberated, as if I'd been carrying this weight around that I didn't have to carry. And the moment that I confessed, the moment that I didn't keep all that garbage in the dark, the moment I was set free from it, it was brought into the light and it became light. I believe that we've thrown out you know, confession where it's just like, well, it's just between me and God. We don't talk about those things. I remember pastoring a church in Oklahoma where we began to minister and talk about confession and people got mad about it. That's none of your business, Pastor. Enjoy carrying that for the rest of your life. The reality is that Jesus has given us a way to bring all the garbage that exists in our lives that weighs us down, that holds us back And bring it to a place where it becomes something so powerful it accelerates us in the right direction. To draw all of that nasty business out of the dark and into the light is to rid yourself of everything that would ever hold you back from being the wonderful, powerful, spirit-filled believer that God's called you to be. I want to ask you to stand with me. I want to pray over us this morning. When you're in a group like this, you have to ask yourself, you know, why am I here? What was it that I was here for this morning? Why that message and why for me? And I think it's important to have a very intentional and individual perspective on that, that you're here for a reason. This is on purpose. That God spoke this message on purpose to you today. As for why, that's something that the Holy Spirit knows, and he's here to do his work in me and in you. Could be something that God's doing in you directly. Could be that you need this message to carry to someone else and to minister to them. Could be both. And it could be something altogether different that that I have no idea about. But I know this, there's not a single person in the room that God's not working on right now. And the words that we share the the scripture that we read and celebrate together is powerful to meet us right at the point of our need. And that's really the prayer that I want to pray today. That God would bring us to a place where there's this willingness to surrender to, to confession, to bring all the nasty business into the light so that it can no longer be held as a threat against us but that we can cut that boat anchor free and sail directly into the light without being held back, without being weighed down, without being restricted, without being restrained. And that's freedom. That's liberty. That's Christianity. where you stand, I want to pray. That's going to be the prayer. You're welcome to be in a mindset of agreement or you know, attitude of receiving, however you choose. But I want to trust that God is at work in each of us. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us, that you wouldn't leave us to sit in anguish and gloom. you love us so much, you wouldn't leave us to sit in the dark. We receive your light. We receive Jesus. Let every aspect of our life be exposed by Jesus. Let the light enter into every corner of our mind every section of our heart and let everything be bathed in light let us close the door to Satan's tool of shame that we wouldn't hide from you that we wouldn't choose to sit in darkness in gloom and anguish but that we would respond to your call to come out to step into the light we trust in you that you love us that you won't call us out to our destruction and our demise, but that you will call us out to heal us, to wash us, and to give us the things that we need to be the sons and daughters you called us to be. Set us free from shame and loose us into conviction that we would follow your voice that we would go in the direction that we're called to go and that every choice and every decision that we make would be made in freedom and liberty no longer held hostage by the devil but liberated by your light let the power of our testimony be evangelistic that not only would we be set free that we would lead others around us to freedom, as they would see the wonders of a life free from shame, the wonders of a life in the light. Be honored and glorified as we walk as children of light in everything that we do, in all that we say and all that we are. Be glorified. We give you thanks, and we rejoice in you. In Jesus' mighty name, and all the saints declare, and amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at championschurch.org.